Welcome to Nine to Thrive, where we talk about balancing work, life, and creativity. And this fall for the pandemic, we're looking closely at homeschooling kids. It's different and easier than remote schooling or school at home. And it's not the same as doing it all. It's using the practical experience of other homeschooling parents to integrate kids' learning into the structure of the family. We're interested in building relationships, leadership, and human potential. I'm your host, Janet McKenna-Lowry. A note on COVID recording, you may hear the occasional soft paws walking around, and that's my co-host, Minette, who's a miniature schnauzer. I'll be putting some photos of her at our website, working9tothrive.com, with the number nine. Feel free to send her photos of your own pets. I often feel when I'm talking about homeschooling like Mabius in the Matrix. What if I told you that homeschooling can bend around work and not the other way around? That homeschooling is a lot easier than the way people are doing remote schooling right now. It can strengthen your relationships. It will open your kids and you to grow. And from someone who's been there, it fully and effectively provides a strong education, despite all our worries as parents. My guests have been there too. I talk with people who have schooled one kid and, today, seven kids, and everything in between. All of the people that I talk to on my show have balanced homeschooling with working or full-time school or volunteering in such intensity that it it equates to a full-time job. Some have done it while being single parents. They're from all economic levels, all educational backgrounds. Some have homeschooled kids with disabilities. Some have homeschooled kids without. They're all amazing, but none are beyond what we can all reach with our potential. And let's take a minute to talk about the different kinds of homeschooling there are. The first one, and one that's very obvious when you start looking into homeschooling, is religious homeschoolers. This particular radio show is not going to be dealing with religious homeschoolers because I'm really concerned help throwing out a helping hand to people who find themselves thinking they might end up homeschooling this fall. If you're a religious homeschooler, you find your way to that religion's homeschooling just fine. You don't need me. But if you're a secular homeschooler, if you're someone who really is not motivated by the religious indoctrination piece, it can be a little tricky to navigate online. So if you are looking for information on homeschooling, but do not want to fall down a rabbit hole of very intense religiosity, always use secular in quotation marks when you're Googling anything about homeschooling. That will help you filter out the search to things that are much more general. The next variety is Instagram homeschooling, and it comes right after religious because so many very religious people, and particularly I find, I don't know why this is, but Mormon homeschoolers are very active on on, uh, Instagram. And they have a vested interest in showing a very specific 
kind of homeschooling. It's one that is very, very ordered for a given value of order. It often looks modeled and has a performative aspect to it, a presentation aspect to it. And it can make homeschoolers that are new and feeling a little insecure, more insecure, because it looks like everybody has their act together. And I'm here to tell you, those are not what you're seeing. Like all Instagram, what you're seeing is not really true. What you're seeing is a photo op, something we could all set up for two and a half minutes in our houses. Most of the time, those are a variety of school at home. And school at home is difficult. It involves a certain amount of, the word repression comes to mind. You're in a position of authoritarianism over your kids versus my preferred way of running a family, managing a family, managing anything, because I do business management as well which is authoritative, which is holding on to your authority without hammering everybody like a nail. So when you see Instagram pictures, remember, around that whole thing, five minutes later, that dissolves. It involves a huge amount of work from the parent on deck to keep everybody looking picture perfect. And most of us don't live like that, don't want to live like that, and aren't particularly happy living like that. Next up, and similar to that, is school at home and remote schooling. And that is what a lot of people are finding themselves doing this year. I don't have much to say positive about it because I have yet to see much positive about it. It makes kids miserable. It makes parents into police. It is not well aligned with the way that we know human brains learn and take in information. We can learn from online classes, but they're always short. They're always, as adults, training classes don't happen for six hours. We don't have six hour, hour meetings for work. And in fact, even when we have shorter meetings for work, we complain because nothing got done and we were miserable and tired. It's interesting, so many people have a fear of homeschooling, saying that they would prefer to do this remote schooling, when in fact, this is the experiment. This is this remote schooling is by far the unproven experiment, whereas homeschooling has been shown to be amazingly successful, particularly, well, the one that I advocate, student-led homeschooling, which we'll talk about in just a second. So I mean, examine your feelings about this as you have a a reaction to the grief of the unexpected of this pandemic and the disruption that it's caused. First of all, there's going to be a certain amount of wishful thinking. We wish things hadn't changed. But this acceptance that what's been put in place is of the same caliber or even useful at all to kids, I think is worth questioning. We have never done this with a bunch of kids. We have no idea whether it's successful. And judging from parents and kids that I've been talking to and listening to since March, it is not successful. And it is not, they're not learning, they're not retaining, and they're not happy. 
So next up is curriculum-based, and homeschoolers across the board, when they started buy curriculums or get free curriculums or are tempted to buy curriculums. It puts you very much in that same school at home place, remote school place, which is someone else's agenda, someone else's framework of how your kid right here should learn. Now, sure, that's super useful in a school when you have 30 kids. It's absolutely not just optional, but somewhat pointless when you have just your own kids. So what I advocate, because it's so beautiful and meaningful and fun, is student-led, where in collaboration with your kids, your family creates the curriculum. Your family maybe uses some structures, like maybe study a time period if you like history, or certain subjects, like which ones take precedence and and learning styles, but the actual interests are dictated by the kids in question. So you find ways for them to learn the list of things that they would normally be doing in school, history, math, language arts, social studies, gym, art, music, which by the way, you can do far more time on now that they're not dictated by the school, but you filter all of that through a kid's interest. My guest today will have some very funny things to talk about a daughter who loved horses and how they structured her learning to be through horses. Another way to do this, one that I think is so elegant, is called the question, where in collaboration with your kids, you find out what do they wonder? Do they wonder the classic, why is the sky blue? Well, then it's time to start looking at light, math, pollution, start talking to some professors, start looking things up about particulate in the atmosphere, and find that out. Why is Pluto not a planet anymore? All a physicist. And then structured homeschooling, and honestly, that's what I did. I used a framework where I said, look, Year one, we're going to do ancient history, prehistory. Year two, we're going to do things around the fall of the Roman Empire to the end of the Renaissance. Year three, we're going to do the end of the Renaissance up to the beginning of the 20th century. And year four, we did 20th century by decade. There were two reasons for that. But one of them was, for me, I felt better having a structure Also, I needed, both of the reasons are about me, I needed to be able to filter out stuff and say, you know what, this year, we're not going to watch Ken Burns' The Civil War. It's great, but I'm going to leave that for two years. It helped me pick and choose from a world with so many things to explore. And we did this partly because I love history. I love history as it happened with first person, not history textbooks. So I really enjoyed doing that with my kids. And that was a collaboration. We all participated in things that we loved. And then the last is unschooling. And, you know, people fear it, which is the kid self-directs their learning, asking for and getting help and assistance from the parent. And I advocate that to, I advocate it all the way. I think if you can do it, it's fantastic. There is no drawback for the kids. There is only fear from the parents. 
For the kids, they learn. The fear is, well, they won't read. They do read. It's all about creating a learning environment. It's all about meeting and collaborating with your kids and working together to meet their needs. So unschooling is where they follow down the channel that they want to do. If today is a day they want to read, they read. If today is a day they want to figure out the physics of light, then it's the day they figure out the physics of light. And again, these are all collaborations. So unschooled kids do a variety of these things. And more structured schooled kids have plenty of time for this kind of deep thought, unstructured time. Next, I'm going to talk a little bit about filling that unstructured time. I homeschooled my kids during the time between before the internet was really going and truly available to after it was in full swing. They are truly late millennial Gen Z kids. And even then, the amount of available resources was astonishing and gorgeous. We have, in this day and time, honestly, we were fine before when it was just libraries. But we have such a a wealth of resources. There's TED Talks. Have kids find TED Talks that interest them and write a paragraph on why. Have kids find TED Talks that interest them, have them figure out what's the science behind them and pursue some of that. TED Talks are engaging, available, and can teach your kids how to do presentations of their own. Podcasts. Find one you love. Video games, play them, tell me why they're useful. Vlogs, editing, Coursera, where you can do auditing, as well as MIT, Harvard, Yale, Stanford, Khan Academy. Other resources are the people around you in your community. What are your relatives interested in? Have the kids ask them, have them interview them, have them write up questions, figure that out. Have them edit. You can use free software like Audacity. Easy to learn. Free instruction is available all over YouTube. Learn how to do what I do. Learn how to podcast. Learn how to ask your relatives an interview. Ask elderly people. Ask about first-person history. It is so compelling. And it builds relationships between your relatives, or if you don't want to do it with your relatives, friends, or if you don't want to do it with your friends, contact the library and find out who you might end up having a conversation with. I'll tell you, I have always found reference librarians to be fantastic. You can, your kids or you can call a library to find a reference librarian willing to take a half hour and talk with you and record it, or just willing to point you to various resources. But that's not all. (laughs) Sound like an ad, but that's not all. College professors. I have cold called college professors in the past. Just ask, what do you love to do? Why did you decide to go into your field? What are the parts that, that you love about your field that you feel people don't talk enough about? anything about that, anything about their own experience. And what I have found is that I have yet to be refused, but being refused isn't bad either. There's loads and loads of people 
who are mission-driven, interest-driven, and delighted to talk to you about it. Authors often love to talk about their work. How did they get it? How do they research? What do they do? What's the first step? How do they finish a project? These are all phenomenal things to ask authors. And let us not forget, beyond your own relatives, elderly people. That is a resource that we treat terribly in this country. We treat them like they're just excess baggage to be moved out of the line. They are full and complete, worthy human beings, worthwhile human beings who have experiences and firsthand knowledge of things that we only see in black and white in old photos and asking them what was happening on the ground, how they were involved in things, what their reflections are on various times is so profoundly moving and interesting and will teach your kids on beyond anything that one week unit either, you know, in a curriculum or done as a homeschooler can do. That kind of connection is even more important. Next up is the second half of my conversation with Dr. Jolie Hamilton. Our presence, we start about our presence being beneficial to our kids, but theirs is to us because they see us in our fullness. You're actually spending a lot of time with your kids. Like they're getting the benefit of being with you far more than they would be if they spent uh, six or seven hours times five days a week away. Mm -hmm. So there, there is something really nice about the fact that there is this proximity yeah. to the people that we love. And when we love people, we want to spend time with them. It's also seeing each other in our fullness, which is mm. this is a, it's a, a tiny little silver lining for those of us who are not in essential jobs and my heart goes out to people who are and, and don't get to experience this because it's a tiny little silver lining that our children get to experience us as these whole people who have whole lives that are outside right. of them. Mind blown, right? Like yeah. if, if, if your imagination as a child and we're all self-centered centered as a child, we're supposed to be. If your imagination is that your parents' whole world revolves around you and all of a sudden you find out that they have this whole other side of themselves where they're unrecognizable to you. Mm. To my mind, that is a huge benefit to them as growing people. And yeah, but that doesn't mean it's going to go simple at all. And I had to set up a lot of boundaries and a lot of cues for the kids in order for them ah. to understand, you know, I needed to set up habit loops for them. So if you see mom's door is closed, that means mom's in a meeting. Don't knock right. on the door. I like don't even knock on the door. That's right. Save it meeting. up. <laughs> save it up. Here's yeah. your here's your notebook. Save it up. Exactly. And that I mean, and I'm talking, yeah, it, at five years old. Absolutely. Don't knock on the door. I might be in a meeting for an hour, you know, and so you need to go find the other children or you need to go find the other parent or whoever's around. Or And it's been all different at all different times. Sometimes there's been a grandparent next door or any number of situ situations. 
And sometimes it's even more subtle than that. Sometimes I can't close the door between us. So mm. it's been headphones on or it's been, um, you know, I have, I'll, I, <laughs> at one point I even changed the lighting in the room. I had like a, a, a smart bulb so I could, I could shift the lighting. I asked them to respect. That's kind of lovely. <laughs> so, and they were remarkably able to. In fact, just now I had, right before we started, I stuck, stuck my head out my office door in between meetings and I said, I need silence in the kitchen for one hour. And everybody just stood up, took their books and left. And one of them was in the middle of doing dishes. And he said, okay, I'll be back to do them in an hour. And they just, they left. I have no idea what they're doing right now. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they went to find something. They know what the other household rules are. So like, they're not on computers right now because they know that this isn't the time we do that. They're right. off entertaining themselves. Now my kids are older, but they've been able to do that for quite some time. It just took practice. And I had to at first. That was an observation I was going to make. One of the things that I think is really interesting, my, my kids like yours were in school and out of school. When they were very intensively with their peers, which I know a lot of people think of as the ideal socialization experience for kids. But when they did that, their cooperation as citizens of the family was mm. often less willing than when they sort of realized, oh, if I want you to do me a favor, then I'm going to have to do you a favor. And so when the practice piece, when when they were practicing this every day, they settled into it and lost it, at least in in my experience, lost it when they went back to chaotic, peer-driven environment. I struggled with September every single time. So I'm like, oh, oh, we were in a rhythm. (laughs) I just, yeah, I wanted to observe that because they don't start out perfect and unchaotic. They, right, (laughs) right. They end, they end up there. Like it's the long game. It's the long game. It's why people ask all the time, like, how can you homeschool so many children? Like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's a little glib. But, um, you know, I set the ball rolling and I definitely have tasks that I do and that right. are definitely homeschool related. I, I'm the person who grades things. I'm the person who checks on their math. You know, there are things, but mostly I set the container that holds them as learners. They are expected to be people learning and that's going to require them to have initiative. And we have a thing in our house where up till now, if you didn't have initiative, then you went to school because that meant how we put it in our household is some people want to make the meal themselves and some people just want to have the table set. They don't want to have to make any decisions. And in our homeschool, it has up until now been, you don't want to have initiative. That's fine. School lays out the table and they tell you exactly what to do. Go do that. This is a whole new ball game. We haven't had this before. Mm. So we were transitioning home some kids who hadn't really wanted to have that chore, that job. And, but, um, you know, four months of homeschooling and they nailed it. They did great. It was awesome. They, they really took to it. And I was shocked because they had gone in one way and come out of school with some resilience to shift right back. Right. Yeah. Right. Had to give them a chance and some time to de-school, which is so important. You know, it is. And people don't quite understand that. And I think they get very worried that without the time, it's interesting, the the confusion between simply existing in school and learning, but the idea that if you were to give a kid 
a four-month break that they somehow would either be absent all learning by mm. being absent at school or that they will be in any meaningful way behind or yeah. something will be lacking. You'll, you will have failed as a parent in some critical way if your kid, you know, you almost conflate it to eating Doritos at 30 in your basement. And it's just like, no, they do need a little bit of time to remember what they're interested in so that we can figure out a way for them to pursue it. My two seventh graders who are coming home after being in school from first grade to seventh grade, halfway through seventh grade, both of them, every time I would ask them, Susan, what do you want to do? They'd be like, oh, oh. Mm. It would take this long time. And then when I asked them what they wanted to do for this, you know, fresh school year, they gave me some lists. And then one of them said, I said, well, what about cooking? You keep saying you want to know how to cook something. He said, oh, I forgot I get to ask for things that aren't, <laughs> you know, like in school. Like, sure, of course, anything. <laughs> but he needed time. It's He keeps saying, I can't remember that I get to learn whatever I want. So now he... He chose a drawing class. He also chose this really intense physics class on Coursera that I'm not sure he's getting tons out of, but he's certainly Mm. interested. And that's enough. You know, it's making him ask interesting questions of his father. And it's been a new thing that they had to relearn. They had to, people say children are always curious. And I think that's true, but they're curious in their own ways. And not all of them are asking that, what what is that? A five-year-old asks 107 questions per minute. (laughs) (laughs) That some seventh graders ask no questions all day. Right. You know, he had to reawaken that part of himself. And now that it's I'm like, wow, okay, great. And I think, you know, you were talking about honoring the whole child. I think there is tremendous. I think sometimes adults are unable to figure out how to be comfortable with it. But I think there's tremendous power in a kid's desire to find things out that we can leverage Mm -hmm. as homeschoolers. And obviously, I was a lifetime homeschooler. So I, you know, I definitely had some philosophical issues with schooling. But you can't stop 35 kids because one kid wants to do a subset of dinosaurs. In homeschooling, you 100% can. Yeah, yeah. If the year is going to be that subset of dinosaurs and you tell that kid, I need you to cover these subjects through that subset of dinosaurs. So we're going to do math. We're going to do bone structure. We're going to do, you're going to interview some people. So you're going to have to write out interview questions. You're going to learn some video editing because you interviewed them. You end up with this entire curriculum built around a kid whose desire to know this was so driving. Right. Right. It's like it's almost unfathomable for people to remember being... A kid like that. Right. Yeah. My, for us, it was horses. My eldest child and her obsession with horses, if she wouldn't participate in some subject, because it's not like there's no resistance. There is. Right. For some kids, there's resistance. This child, when she was six years old and I was trying to teach her to read and she was not having it, she finally came to me and she said, I want to go to school. That's it. I want to go to school. And I'm <laughs> like, okay. Wow. Why? <laughs> She said, I'm sick of this. I don't like it. I just want the teacher to teach me. I said, what she, what do you want her to teach you? So teach me how to read. You're going to, it's going to be just like this. They're going to teach you the phonics of reading. <laughs> oh no. She's <laughs> she really literally thought it would be different. Right. 
So yeah. for her, she didn't want to participate in that. So one thing we did was say, you know what? There's no actual reason that she needs to learn to read right now. She learned to read when she was eight. And she went from reading Hop on Pop to reading Harry Potter all in one school year. Boom. Just right yeah. through it. But the other subjects? Yeah. Horses. What did she read? She did read Harry Potter, but mostly what she read? Black Beauty over and over and over again. <laughs> and she, we even made horse math up. We made oh. everything, anything horses. And, yeah. you know, I had a lot of other kids that were looking in other directions. So sometimes that got clunky. And so after a bit, that really turned into, you can learn anything you want. So if you want it to be about horses, cool. Then here's how you use the internet. And here's the parental, parental controls on the internet. And you're going to be in a room where I am. Go learn about horses. Bring me something you can do. And that would get her whole, through whole school years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you're leveraging the power of her own curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever read Calvin and Hobbes, those cartoons? Yes. yes yeah. The whole that was where that. I was getting the dinosaur idea. I used to stop midway through a comic and think, you know, if this kid was homeschooled, yeah. it would just be yes. Yes. Yep. Instead of instead of you're getting yelled at or sent to the principal's office again, yeah. it would just be, you know what? Draw that dinosaur. Yeah. <laughs> it's, let's draw the dinosaur. Look up about the dinosaur. Read the 9,000th dinosaur book. Yeah. It's, it is surprising. We have become this nation that really, really prizes a generalist education very early. And I agree. But I think you can have a generalist education it has lots of topic-specific stuff. You know what I mean? Like, you yes. go deep in the topic, and you still get, you can get a wide variety. I mean, I wound up figuring out how to bring literature and mythology and even philosophy in through the horses. Right. You know? like, right. Okay, let's talk well, about the horses and how, you know, it, it, all the time. And and here's a really interesting point about generalist. The sort of received wisdom is that general will lead to specific. I have yet to find interesting, and I'm going to say, and, and for a given value of successful, happy successful. So not just successful, but happy successful people. One of the things generalizing does is make you incapable of really following a path or, or deciding. Whereas when you follow sort of a, you know, so there's a design metric like this where you just follow a path. I remember one time someone who did a college counseling for high schoolers getting into a, a bit of a thing about Marine biologists. The world's filled with marine, marine biologists. I tell those kids the world doesn't need another marine biologist. And I was like, what a massive disservice you're doing. They're not all going to become marine biologists. One of them is going to start in marine biology and say, how come there's no measurement tool that does this? And go off and start working on that measurement tool. And while they do that, it turns out they're going to be needed in this other area. Like you've robbed us of all of that. Yeah. Because, because you decided. Happiness is a worthy metric. I mean, I think there are something like 80,000 psychology degrees conferred every year, but nobody does exactly what I do. I mm. love the specialty that I chose. It's obscure and it's a little esoteric, but I love it. Mm. And I create all kinds of stuff out of it. I've built businesses out of it. I teach out of it. It's, yeah, that's, that's fine. And the, I don't know. As far as, you know, whether they'll be behind or ahead, I think that is kind of close to the generalist thing. Mm. We ask for kids to be at exactly the same level in exactly the same subjects at all the time, right? Except that's yeah. not what's actually happening. I asked these two seventh graders, so, you know, what's it like in your classroom? They're like, oh, yeah, I mean, some of the kids are reading 
you know, they're just barely getting into chapter books because they're behind in reading, quote unquote, behind in right. reading. And then, you know, these two kids happen to read at a really high level and they write at a really high level and they're all in the same class and all those kids were going to pass to eighth grade. And yeah. it, so I think that if we allow them to be specific about some things, they are going to get, quote unquote, ahead in some things. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that has anything to do with the reality of whether they're learning or not. My metric is just, are they, are they making measurable change in their life? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there are years where math is a little stalled. There are years when reading sometimes stalls. But if there's change, if there's generally some work in an area, that's, that's enough. We don't, yeah. you know, we don't have to be at the same place. What a boring world we would live in. What a boring world. And and one of the things that I do observe is how a lot of times those systems, they instill a sense of a very pernicious self-comparison to others in all things, in which the only reason to do it is to feel bad about yourself or to feel good about yourself because other people are worse than you. And both of those are super damaging. Makes me think of those darn Iowa tests when we were kids. And how we would get those and they would say what grade we like, what grade level reading we were at. And they were like, this group of people and that group. And my, my brother had a lot of trouble reading. So he always felt terrible. That right. followed him the enti- his entire life, that feeling until he died when he was 36. And oh. I was ahead. And that feeling of being competent followed me. I right. don't think that's an accident. And that started in third grade. At the, at the absolute latest, there was a, there were these in-group, out-groups and yeah, you're right. Yeah. Comparison. It sets us, we all know that comparison is the thief of joy, right? So, yes. and I yeah. don't think, I, I genuinely do not think that there is a single teacher who wants the kids to compare themselves to another. Teacher. Yeah. Who wouldn't agree? Nobody, yeah. Nobody yeah. wants that. The teachers are doing the level best they can. I cannot yeah. imagine trying to pull off their job. But when you bring them home, and it's very different to be doing remote schooling and homeschooling the way I did, I think, in that my mindset was already free of the right. school mindset. It was, it, I just mean the difference for me. I didn't right. have to measure up. I also didn't have to compare myself to a teacher. That's right. not what I was doing. In fact, I completely rejected the word teacher until I became a professor. Like, I wouldn't <laughs> call me that. If somebody said I was a homeschool teacher, I'd be like, oh, no, no, no. Uh- <laughs> I've had that same feeling. Like, I don't know. That's not what I do. No, no. I totally rejected it. And I I don't want to compare myself to teachers. They have a very specific skill set. And now that I'm a professor, I feel a little bit different about that. I'm like, oh, now I can understand some of the tools that they have to put in place. It's different Mm. in elementary school, certainly. But they're not really relevant to homeschool. College is much more relevant to the homeschool mindset. My, yes, agreed. I teach my agreed. I teach freshman and sophomore college students almost identical to elementary students. It's it's all the same because it's about freedom and autonomy to do work that is meaningful and right. to make progress and to follow your interests and to cover some basics that will help you have a conversation with a broader community. That broader right. community might be your family, but you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then we'll help you with mastery of the things you do need to get down the road. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. And I think the other thing is schools have been asked to provide so many different services that at this point what's requested and required of them is just worlds away. And on that, I did want to say one of the things that I do want to make sure we talk a little bit about is to let people know you, you split off 
child care from you mentioned essential workers. Yeah. Homeschooling is not actually the child care piece. Right. Exactly. No, I, I knew right from the beginning when I was a brand new homeschooler, I met my first ever full-time working mother who was homeschooling her children. I was like, oh, is dad home? Nope. I'm a single mm. mom. Mm-hmm. She held down her job. She left for her job. Her, her child was 13 at the time. She left for sure. her job every day. Her child knew what she had to do. And that was life. And they did the subjects that she needed help with all fell in the afternoon after she was home. And that, that has just sort of lived in me the whole time. It never occurred to me. There were times when I got babysitters. Those were mostly for dates. Those were for date nights. <laughs> and that was for, that was for fun. There were, yeah. there was childcare tasks. There were, there were things that, ha- I mean, I was nursing babies for 11 years, you know, um, <laughs> There were things that I had to do regardless of whether I was homeschooling. And then there was the homeschooling. Some of that can be, one, covered in a remarkably short amount of time. Right. Remarkably short. Ten minutes of math for an elementary student that's really focused, like mm-hmm. interested in, is awesome. That's great. Yeah. You know, I have a kid now who loves to spend an hour and a half on math. I don't know. I wouldn't do that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but he loves it. It's how long they're interested. You can keep throwing marshmallows at their head all day, but I wouldn't call it eating. Right. It's, oh, I love that. Yes. <laughs> just, you know, just stick with their interests. And then when, they, when they're not interested, yeah, you know. And this, I hope, should be a piece of reassurance for people who do feel like they can't do it for some reason. One of those things is essential, essential workers. Yep. Can you get the child care taken care of? Because yeah. you're going to have to in some way between friends and relatives and pods and whatever. Can you get that taken care of? Because that now? is not the homeschooling. That is not the homeschooling. Recreate, recreate school. You can do school at any time of day. You can do Saturdays. Teenagers love night school. Oh my gosh, yep. they love night school. <laughs> um, yeah, at least in our house. And it's so much shorter time, you know. So I've had times when all I had was like a two and a half hour block during the day right. that I was available. That's it. That's what I had. So all right. everybody who was homeschooled at the time fit into that two and a half hour block. Yeah. You know, other times I had more luxury than that, but I, I don't know. I kind of like the focus time. It let me time yeah. block for the day and say, here, it's all going to fit here. So all of, all of you are going to have to be on the same page with me. And mm-hmm. sometimes that was even while I was also cooking dinner, <laughs> you know, you're just, you're just doing whatever you had to do. I don't, I don't think that that was necessarily my least favorite time homeschooling Right when I was that tight and needed to keep everything really succinct because the kids focused too. And then we didn't, you know, there's nothing I hate more than the thought of doing homework after school for hours, which I remember doing as a child. And it wasn't that the children, like they were giving me so much homework. It's that I was dragging and I wouldn't do it. And it was like, it would go on and on. So at 730 at night, my mother's still telling me, yeah, you just got to do it. That means yeah. it's a whole day. And, and did you retain it? And, and you know, I, do yeah. you look back? It just wasn't, yeah. I lost my joy for any subject if I was dragging it out over a 12 hour period. Right. So, yeah. Right. You just, there are days when I genuinely look at a kid doing an algebra problem and I see the frustration on their face. They haven't even said anything. I see it and I say, you know, just go for a walk. Math will be here tomorrow. That's it. Math is yep. done that day because they're not learning. They're they're basically self-harming. By, by yeah. And there are other days where I see them trying not to do the math 
I'm like, no, no, we're focusing. <laughs> so that's about attunement. That's just about yes. whatever time you are spending, whether it's 15 minutes or an hour, just tuned in to what's happening and then, and then being done and not trying to do everything. It's okay not to do everything. It's okay to close the book and say, yeah, now it's family time. We're not doing it. You know, I actually often think that the really big difference between ways of schooling is actually ultimately less about that and more about being a checked in, attentive, curious parent. Yeah. Yeah. I know some people who are so into their kids' schoolwork that I think of them as homeschoolers. Like they are, they're just in it. And then they mm. also send their kids to school. I'm like, I don't have the stamina for that. <laughs> I do not have the stamina to deal with what a teacher needs from me and what the system needs from me and my own interest, my genuine curiosity in what the kids are doing and wanting to share with them my specialties and what I love. I just don't have, I don't have the stamina for that. So instead <laughs> I focus on the part I really, really love. And for us, it's worked out. It's, you know, it's easy for me to say like, this is awesome. Don't worry. Because right. I have two kids who are getting 4.0s in college and, you know, another head now <laughs> this January. Mm -hmm. So it is easy. On the other hand, I don't know. It, it's, some of it is just having to take a deep breath and trust yourself as a parent and trust yeah. your child as a human and know that it doesn't have to go any one particular way. And you, there's no, you're not going to break them. Yep. <laughs> you're not, you're not going to break them. <laughs> there's no, there's no thing to fall behind. In fact, because if you, yeah. if you even compare districts, what is there to fall behind? Those are all just that, that comparison you're talking about. And those are the, yeah. those are the demons that they become earworms. And then you're thinking about that. If and I they are no people, prediction of success right? or happiness. Nothing. I completely had completely detached. totally believed that she could, she wasn't smart. She wasn't going anywhere. She had homeschooled. And I was like, how could she possibly have believed this? How could she have lost her own faith in herself? But she mm. had the crisis of confidence that 16 year olds often have. And then... She took a placement exam. Here, just take it. Try it. Mm -hmm. Great. I was like, oh, okay. And she's now in her junior year of her BSN and doing beautifully, even though it, she's trying to become a nurse in a pandemic and it's horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but, but it was about all of us trusting that even through that low, and it was a low, like I was, I did not know what we were going to do. She didn't mm. want to learn anything. Mm. And six months later, things had changed. We just had to trust that we would get through it as a family yeah. without, without harming each other, without pressuring her to become something I wanted her to be. Just, right. I really didn't know. I didn't know whether, you know, the military was on the other side of that or whether I had no idea. I just had right. to trust that she would find her way as long as we stayed present for whatever she was going through. And so far, so good, you know, just keep yeah. being present for whatever it is and They'll find their way. It, it might take longer than you want. Not. You know, they will. None of my kids are preemies. I don't know if any of your kids are preemies, but friends of theirs were. And I remember a nurse telling me what is so obvious when they're toddlers and maybe very, very early elementary. By the time they're in fourth and fifth grade, you cannot pick a preemie out of a crowd of kids. Yeah. And that's true with homeschooling, too. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> Nobody would guess. Nobody has if any some, idea. When people, you know, when people meet all of my kids, they would they would never guess which one have spent the majority of the time homeschooled versus public schooled. Nobody yeah. gets it right. In fact, people often get it backwards because my yeah. 
my more introverted children happen to be the ones who went to school. And there's that, that trope again that we were talking yeah. about. That so people yeah. would miss, they would misunderstand. They would misread that. No, they're just quiet and they like books. <laughs> they, they weren't homeschooled at all. And you know, this one over here is on the dance floor going crazy and, you know, totally outgoing and has 17 different projects and has been homeschooled the whole time and isn't shy at all. It's, you just yeah, go out. figure. Yeah, you just go, let them be whoever they are. Well, and here's the thing that I think we often recognize as true to ourselves, but forget because we feel like we're so on the hot seat for kids. And it's that when you go to college, suddenly nobody cares where you went to high school. Yep. When you go to grad school, suddenly, well, actually, if you, go to, if you go to community college, nobody cares where you went to high school. If you go to college after community college, no one cares that you went to community college. Right. If you go to a grad program, nobody cares who you did your, after the initial moment, nobody cares. What jobs you've had, what job you had five years ago, nobody cares. Yep. It's, it's kind of a funny thing to think, oh, that's very liberating. We get so <laughs> caught up in it. We get so caught up in it. I was totally caught up in it because I did my my degrees in my thirties. So I really thought that it mattered still. All, yeah. The, the longest time, you know, Oh, nobody ever asks me where I got it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Nobody yeah. cares. It just doesn't matter. What they care about is how I'm showing up right now. And so my yeah. goal is to raise children who become adults who are interested in stuff, care about the world around them, understand that they need to engage. Otherwise, there is no world around them and know how to find stuff out. They can learn anything. And that, so I always know there's a, there's always a moment with every kid where I have realized, oh, they got it. They're there. And my youngest just had his moment just last week when he came into my room and said, so I need a new way to record video games. Do you know any? I said, well, why don't you look on Google? He looked up an article. He researched the program. He downloaded the program. He put it on his computer. He then downloaded a Skillshare class, took the class, and then produced three videos and then couldn't find them. So looked up more YouTubes and found them and then published them to YouTube all before I had come out of my bedroom. <laughs> so he's there. He's 13 and he's just there. He did the thing. Yeah. After this, I know that I can trust him to not just be inquisitive, but to follow through on his own learning paths. Yeah. And, and it all, and it all counts. The that's, that's the, that's the whole shebang for me. Yeah. Yeah. It all matters. Like he's, he's videotaping Minecraft, but he learned all these things and he might have been doing any number of things with those skills. And he will later, like those right. presentation skills and they are transferable. I have watched my beginning college students. I watched them turn those those things that their parents hated that they were doing, you know, boy, <laughs> I mean, they can produce some awesome stuff rather yeah. <laughs> some awesome, awesome stuff because of what they yeah. were doing in high school that their parents thought was a waste of time. Surprising. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. This is a, that's like such a nice way to, <laughs> way to finish up is just that surprising. Yeah. <laughs> and be happy to be surprised. Cool. Dr. Julie Hamilton, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Janet. I really, really appreciate it. I love the observation that we ended with. Trust yourself as a parent. Trust your child as a human. You're not going to break them. So often, the lack of trust isn't really about the people around us. It's really about our trust in ourselves. You can do this. You don't need extra education. You don't need extra money. 
You don't need to be a different person. And the reason I can say this with absolute certainty is because you've been doing it all along already. Homeschooling does require a certain mindset change. In my opinion, 100% worthwhile, particularly in pandemic times where we have added anxiety, added health concerns, and added logistics of being safe around school. You've been teaching them at dinner time. You've been teaching them manners. You've been teaching them negotiation. You've been teaching them self-regulation. You have been teaching them by being there with them. And this is more time, more there. One of the really interesting things is that counterintuitively, the more time you spend with your kids, the better you get along. The shorter amount of time becomes this huge weight of responsibility for everyone to get along well. You often see this in families where there's limited time with one parent or another, or with families where the parents are very career driven and want to do the concept of quality time. Just like multitasking, quality time has been questioned, disproven for quite, quite a while now because it turns out you really can't have quality time without quantity time. You can't guarantee that there will be gold in that dirt unless you sift through all that dirt. And homeschooling is more a more version of this. The more time you spend with your kids, the better they know you, the better you know them. That carries on for years and years and years. And it requires all sorts of relationship maneuvering. You really have to learn to trust that they'll be okay, to trust them to make their choices, to trust yourself that you did a good job, that you did the best you could, and that good enough is good enough. So some resources for you, as well as for kids, primarily I would say for kids it's gonna be helpful if they're really precocious, they're late elementary, but middle school and high school, I wanna direct you to a website called Wait But Why. It's funny, irreverent. I can't remember, but it might be a little sweary. So look at it yourself first. I have found this to be a real mainstay to my mental health and to my decision-making. And the two long posts that the author made that I love so much are procrastination, why we procrastinate. It involves, and I'm just going to sketch this out because you're going to have to read it. It involves your brain, stick figures, and a really naughty monkey. And then the deadline monster who makes you get everything done. I have gotten through projects since reading that blog. I have gotten through projects where I found I was cleaning the refrigerator. I mean, my bathroom's never been so clean. I was cooking up tons of food. I was doing anything to avoid parts, the pain of doing parts of the project. 
And when I sort of realized it, I took wait but why and I sat and I breathed and I imagined the feeling of a little tiny monkey holding my hand, the warmth, the kind of claws, the sort of way that I imagine that feels. And then I could cooperate with my own monkey brain. Wait But Why is so funny. But another one of the posts that I have gotten endless mileage out of is a multi-part finding your career. And this is one of those things that will, as a parent or a grandparent, it's going to run you in a number of different directions at once. Actually, let me broaden that as a human being. So if you've been listening to this show, yes, it's very parent-centered because, wow, our, our parents having to do a lot with figuring out schooling as well as work and life. But honestly, everything you learn is domain shift. You can apply it somewhere else. All these credits count. Finding your career is one of those things which is just a journey through your own brain. Finding out who left the voices of expectation, of shame, of desire, of direction. Who left those voices in your head? And what questions can you ask them? I mean, we often know who it was, but then we took on those voices ourselves. And if we struggle, and so many of us do at different times of our lives, with the question, what do I even want to do? What decision do I want to make? If I make this decision, what am I giving up? Then wait but why finding your career, wait but why the blog, I think it's waitbutwhy.com, is going to be really, really useful to you. I read it through, I skimmed it through the first time I saw it, the career one. And then I took a Thursday and a notebook and I got myself a big old cup of tea and I sat down and I started just, every time he said, write down what you think. There's a bookcase which prioritizes what you want to do. There's an octopus, except there's a lot more arms than the octopus. And then there are segments on the octopus's arm. There are basements and sub-basements and sub-sub-sub-basements. And Groucho glasses on your mom makes an appearance. I sat the entire day and I think I wrote out notes. Uh, I think the number was 18 pages of notes. But boy, was I ever clear when I was done. I've gone back to those notes in a way that I often don't when I write notes. I'm on the ADHD spectrum. Decision making is difficult for me. So is settling in. Procrastination is very easy. So settling in is hard. Learning to say which parts of the way my brain works I can work with or are valuable versus which parts I need to find workarounds. That's a pretty constant, struggles the wrong word, that's a pretty constant challenge for me. That's something I work on all the time. So this process, it's not even, when I say process, it's going to sound like one of those motivational speakers trying to sell you a process. But the journey that the Wait But Why guy does, I think his name is Tim, the way that he has you go through the pulling out of yourself, the answers to these questions was so much easier to do with his company. 
than it was for me to just ask myself these questions that quite frankly, when I ask them of myself, I sound like a demented college career counselor. Well, what are you gonna do about that? Well, what kind of preparation do you need? Whereas doing it through Wait But Why, finding your career and just being with it, incredibly helpful. And it is really helpful for anybody working with a kid who is coming to the end of their high school career and looking at college or whatever comes next, whatever, whatever that is for that kid whether it's college or tech school or working or whatever it is they're doing, but now they're coming out of the compulsory school time. So I found it an incredibly delightful thing to do. And quite frankly, if you discuss it with your kids, you could even do it at the kitchen table. you listening and taking the time. I hope you find some helpful things and please get in touch with me. If you have questions, if you have comments, if you want a question answered on air, if you want me to bring it up with any guests, I would love to talk about challenges that we have in our lives trying to take care of ourselves, take care of each other, and live a meaningful and worthwhile and happy This week's Nine to Thrive. Be sure to visit Working Nine to Thrive, that's with the number nine, to access links, info, and to join the conversation, and to see video clips, and follow on social media.